<laughs> it just holds it. The wall is twice as tall as it was before. It's roughly 14 feet high and about 26 feet further back. Question. Uh, WRC plus, OPS plus, whatever you Why want. are you rolling your eyes with this? Because, like, you're going to get to the same place with almost all of them. All of them, like, whatever metric you want to use that's roughly like a league and context-adjusted stat that appropriately weights on base and slugging, whether it's WRC. We're really lucky that when we sort of embarked upon this rebuild or step back or reimagination or whatever we've dubbed it. Um. That, folks, was Aaron Goldsmith and Mariners Assistant General Manager Justin Hollander providing two audio bits for you to start this podcast off. Well, three, technically. Uh, the first was a roughly from Aaron Goldsmith, Mariners play-by-play -play -play voice. That was June 1st against the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, and then the second was a roughly from Justin Hollander when he appeared on the Mariners pod. The third piece of audio that you just heard was Hollander himself saying, quote, uh, when we started out on this rebuild, step back or reimagination or whatever we've, we've dubbed it laughing, which is what if you've been listening to this podcast long enough, uh, you, you know that Phil and I have pointed out this every single time this front office talks retrospectively about the step back in 2019 or whatever they called it, uh, they uh, always refer to it exactly like this, rebuild, step back, or reimagination, or whatever we've called it. So it's hilarious that that continues to happen. And also hilarious that we named this podcast, roughly a podcast, uh, for Jerry DePoto. Uh, but to be honest, Justin Hollander and Aaron Goldsmith, DePoto adjacent, have produced just as much audio content for us as DePoto has, especially this year where you can't hear DePoto very often because... Uh, it's not a whole lot of fun to talk about with this Mariners team. Well, hello, everybody. I might as well introduce myself. I am uh, Brandon Boyd. Welcome back to Roughly a Podcast after a week-long hiatus. I'm your host, Brandon Boyd, and if you've caught on by now, I'm not not allowing Phil to speak. Phil is not here. Uh, Phil is uh, still not quite ready to get back on the airwaves, so we will do another solo pod this week, a.k.a the deranged yelling at my own computer uh, that uh, we've grown accustomed to this year, but we're getting good at it. And it's actually kind of fun. So uh, we'll keep it going and obviously prefer to have Phil here as I'm sure all of you would too, but uh, here are my musings on the last couple weeks of Mariners stuff. Starting off, speaking of Phil, who has been described by his own mother as my little dramatic Italian boy, which is so, so adorable and true because that's exactly what Phil is. Uh, Dramatic Italian boy, here's our dramatic Italian team. There's been a lot of weird things happening lately that have pointed to this team uh, really, you know, leaning into its, I don't know, Italian roots or something. Uh, Sam Haggerty, new to the team uh, this year, has been called up fairly recently, has started to come up as his with his walk-up music as the God or with the Godfathers theme song, which is pretty ominous, uh, to be honest with you. It's kind of scary in, in, the, in the stadium, but it's deeply funny. And then on Tuesday night, when the Mariners closed out a 5-0 win against Minnesota, their only win of the series, uh, Matt Festa, who was pitching at the end of the game as he was coming out to meet Cal Raleigh uh, to do the you know post-game bro hug, all that stuff after a win, uh, came out to see Cal Raleigh doing the, uh, I don't know, the, the thing with the chef's kiss like hand, uh, and Cal Raleigh was also doing it. So uh, this... Italian dramatic team has uh, really, I mean, that part's cute. The, the not winning anything is not cute, but uh, that's a nice little quirk that we're finding ourselves roughly halfway through the season, which is kind of crazy. But this team 
Speaking of dramatic, eight one-run games in their last 18 games, uh, 20 or maybe 19 games. My stats might be a little old for this and lots of different parts of this, this podcast, but 23 one-run games already this year, which is the second most in baseball behind uh, the Miami Marlins. So already uh, it was a one nothing opening day, I believe, with this team. So I guess we can't be too surprised that this is just kind of kind of how it goes. And as we're learning, this team has a lot of holes. And uh, so we'll go through a bunch of the stuff that's happened in the last two weeks and then also get into some uh, kind of deeper dive stuff. So it's been two weeks since we've been on the podcast. That's 18 games. The Mariners are 10 and eight in those last 18 games, which doesn't sound too bad, but they really, really needed to make some ground up, especially in these last two series against Minnesota and Boston at home. Two good teams, admittedly, but you had chances to win those series and had incompetitive or uncompetitive last games of, uh, of, of either series um, to lose the rubber match and losing, winning both of those games. All of a sudden you're 12 and six in the last 18 games and making up six games and uh, in, in going up above 500 instead of just two as they have. So that has been a huge bummer with those two series, especially because there's been some really good stuff in this series, in this stretch. You beat Texas, you beat Baltimore, uh, you you beat Houston twice over this time, uh, beat them in series. I mean, that's that's no small feat, but uh, these last six games have been especially disappointing. And had I think even if we just won yesterday beating Minnesota in a game that was awfully tight, got a great start out of Marco Gonzalez, uh, but the offense just did not do anything all game, uh, that would have really changed the uh, the vibe around the M's. And instead, it's, uh, it's kind of doom and gloom as we... Head into deep June, which is crazy. So uh, some other notes, Kyle Lewis is a, is a big one. The last time you heard from me was before Kyle Lewis's injury had been announced. Um, at the time, we were speculating that it could be more leg stuff. It could be shoulder concussion was not something that I brought up in the podcast because I truly didn't think it could have been that given that the ball hit off his shoulder and then hit him in the face. I should know better than anybody. I work at the Concussion Legacy Foundation. I should know that any hits to the head followed by a concussion sign because what we saw with Kyle Lewis after he took that hit to the head, after the ball ricocheted off his face, uh, he he shook his head in kind of a way that I took at the time as him being kind of brushed back, a little scared, a little um, you know taken aback from getting hit in the head or almost getting hit in the head very severely. You know, instead it just went off the shoulder off his face. I thought that's what that was. Turns out that that was probably a sign of a concussion trying to clear his uh, clear his uh, vision or whatever, clear a headache, something related to that. Uh, he got on base after that hit or after that he was hit by the pitch and then uh, came out of the game soon thereafter. And then a few days later, we, we found out it was a concussion. That was May 29th. Um, and he is still on the concussion IL here on June 16th. I uh, just saw a report here today from Ryan Divish that, uh, or from uh, Jerry Depoto on his radio show today, that uh, he was. There's still no timeline for Kyle Lewis. That's absolutely correct. There's never a timeline with concussion. It's just one stage at a time. On Saturday, uh, Jen Mueller of Fruit Sports had reported that the Mariners were hopeful that Kyle Lewis could get on the bike soon. The bike, what that would mean from a concussion protocol standpoint. Uh, would probably be either stage two or stage three of the return to play protocol. Return to play protocol starts at square one is you are, you have a concussion. You cannot move forward to square to step one of getting the heart rate back up, starting to get towards activity until you can be asymptomatic, meaning no symptoms, no headaches, no blurry vision, um, no nausea, none of the, no, no balance issues, things that can come with concussion until it, completely at rest. 
And after you can do that for a day being completely at rest, then you can go lightly graduated activity, uh, which might be the bike, but it might just be like walking basic heart rate. And then it would be the bike. So it's either stage two or stage three. And then the stage after the bike would probably be uh, baseball specific drills, get the heart rate up even more and then full team activities um, and then uh, cleared to play fully. So the fact that he's not on the bike or hadn't been as of this weekend is not a great sign that this is going to be anywhere close uh, to it, to recovery with Kyle Lewis soon, uh, which is of course really bad for the Mariners, but more importantly, very bad for Kyle Lewis uh, that he has to deal with all of this, given everything else that he's gone through with his injury history um, in the lower half of his body. So to deal with this is, is just uh, really terrible. And I feel, feel for him because being that symptomatic for that long with a concussion um, is kind of hell. And especially when you want to get back and you want to keep playing as, as much as uh, he probably does. So get well, get well soon. Kyle Lewis, Eric Swanson is back, uh, which is very good because the bullpen sorely needed uh, some dependable arms. He looked great on, uh, on Tuesday. That was a, a phenomenal return from him. Um, and uh, boy, he is having an incredible season. At some point, Phil and I will have to break down exactly what changed with him because he kind of came he was an afterthought. Like there was some tantalizing stuff with him early on, but uh, could never harness it. And for him to get to where he is now, where he's performed like one of the best relievers in baseball is, uh, is really, really cool. Ken Giles is on a rehab assignment, should be back with the club soon, which would again be great. Drew Steckenreiter, sketchy, sketchy stack was, uh, was DFA'd, not picked up by anybody. So he's still with the Tacoma Rainiers, which I think shows you just how unappealing his, uh, uh, mix of of pitcherness is is this year i mean it's just it it was not great the performance was terrible um and uh really some very hittable stuff so drew steckenrider is still not a part of the major league team anthony mashevich was sit, sent down that was the left-handed specialist within the bullpen replaced effectively on the team with ryan barucki who was traded for tyler keenan uh, uh trade with the toronto blue jays tyler keenan was the mariners fourth round pick in 2020 a pitching prospect who uh had you know some kind of classic prospect stuff for the crazy strikeout numbers and crazy high walk walk rate and now he's uh toronto's project but ryan barucki is your left-handed specialist uh, which we'll talk about later doesn't feel like a like a long-term solution but he throws really hard so we shall see there uh, Mariners lost the series against Minnesota, previously lost the Boston series before that. We'll welcome the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Does anyone else's dad still call them the California Angels? Or is that just me? I think it's hilarious. Um, I, they were never the California Angels in my life. And so when my dad, I don't know if he still does it. Dad, you'll have to text me about it later. But uh, um, the formerly California, formerly Los Angeles, now Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim Angels uh, will be coming into town. Uh, that is a five game series with, I believe with a double header in a four game series. So, um, that'll be a lot of games over four days. Um, some, some rest has been coming off around, uh, Julio Rodriguez got the day off on Monday to prepare for this gauntlet against the, the, uh, the angels, Jesse Winker got the day off, I believe on, uh, that would be Tuesday, uh, and JP Crawford unintentional rest was scratched yesterday. Uh, with flu-like symptoms, believe he had the food poisoning, not the food poisoning. He had food poisoning. I uh, was throwing up a bunch before the game. Uh, I won't uh, implicate Phil's restaurant in that scandal. 
So that's the notes. Um, overall, not great vibes with, with this team right now. And uh, I will say that Jesse Winker and Abraham Toro are probably public enemy number one and number two uh, in terms of blame uh, dispensing. And Abraham Toro might be number one. Uh, we won't talk much about Toro today. There Also, there's no we. It's just me. I will not talk about Abraham Toro much today. Uh, but uh, I know that I've been a, a Toro truther, and I still believe in the player, and I want him to be good so badly because god he could be fun but it's been a rough stretch from him and to see him get pinch hit for tremel yesterday uh and have such a, a crappy at bat in a, in a clutch situation that didn't end up mattering um was was a bummer because it's just another example of of this not working out and as we'll talk about a little bit taylor tremel's playing pretty well so i don't think he needed to get pinch hit for in that situation either one other note that actually just happened today, Jesse Winker signed through 2023. That was kind of already the deal. He was going to be a Mariner unless the Mariners traded him um, this year or next through, through the end of next season. But uh, the difference is just that he won't go to arbitration next year. So the Mariners have finalized his contract. We don't actually know the details yet, but he's paid this year and will be paid next year as a Mariner. Uh, and then it will be a free agent case the following year. So extension could come. Uh, but uh, but we'll see. So Winker's a great place to start in our first out here, which is what does this team need to contend? Because the Mariners are not in contention right now. Uh, I can pull up the standings. They are, uh, I guess, in the mix in the in the wild card for how well Houston is playing and how good of a franchise Houston is. I don't know if we can expect a whole lot with uh, the Mariners contending for the division this year, but. Who knows? Uh, they are currently five and a half games back of the Boston Red Sox for the AL wildcard, uh, who are tied with the Cleveland Guardians for that um, for that spot. Uh, in front of the Mariners are the White Sox, the Rangers, and the Angels. And obviously, a great series against the Angels this week would or weekend would uh, do a lot to put some distance between the Mariners and the Angels. But um, you know, it's not a great place to be when there's teams ahead of you um, to get to the second wildcard spot. So if the team wants to contend. Obviously, there's a lot of things that need to happen from within. I don't think this is just as simple as like, you know, we're, we're a, a, a trade piece away. Guys on the team have to either get healthy or start playing better. And Jesse Winker, I think, is the only guy that you can say that health isn't a, a concern, uh, at least to, to our knowledge, uh, that, you know, it's, it's just about the performance and it really, really matters. So Jesse Winker actually hitting would just be such a delight for this team and is so needed. Uh, he was demoted to the fifth spot, whether demoted is actually the word. He was moved from the leadoff spot to the fifth or fifth spot in the order um, a couple nights ago. I think that's just to shake stuff up. Um, lead, lead off might not have been his thing. He's definitely not a speed guy, uh, but I don't necessarily think that we're uh, so binary in our view of baseball that we think it, you know, batting leadoff is all about speed. So Winker is down to fifth. Uh, he was on base three times yesterday. June has actually bit for as bad and frustrating as he's been at times. June has actually been his best, best month so far by way of WRC plus. Um, it's actually gotten better from April to May to now June. So hopefully improvement is coming. It's just the power, right? The, the ability to get on base, the drawing of walks has actually been great. I mean, this team certainly needs that, but Jesse, Jesse Winker was a guy who mashed righties last year, like mashed like a walking double. And he just cannot generate that same level of power this year. Um, so something has got to give. And it's he's not, I don't think he even cracked 20 home runs last year. He's not, it's not him. It's doubles, it's triples, it's it's hitting into gaps. Um, it's hitting the ball hard 
that Jesse Winker was doing last year and the year before that we just have not seen at the same level this year. Um, so hopefully that comes, hopefully he gets more comfortable. I think as the, you know, <laughs> the weather still hasn't been very nice and very warm in, in Seattle. I know that. Um, so maybe that'll help things. The warm weather will help kind of open up his game a little bit, but uh, Jesse Winker has got to start performing if this team has any chance of, of, of competing. And part of the issue with Winker is uh, he was brought in as a potential platoon player, right? A, a hit against when there's righties up, that's who's, who's definitely getting the start. Um, not a, necessarily an everyday left fielder defensively. That's not, you know, he's, he's fine out there, but certainly not one of the better defenders in baseball. Um, and there has been nobody to play left field other than Jesse Winker this year um, with the injuries to Kyle Lewis, to Mitch Hanniger, uh, with Jared Kelenic being sent down right basically fairly soon after the season started. There's been no reinforcements behind Winker um, who can, you know, kind of fill in anywhere close to his level of offense, which has been disappointing um, to take that away from him and give him a break. So it's all been on Winker and it's all been relatively disappointing. The two guys who, uh, you know, obviously health is the primary concern. Uh, we talked about Kyle Lewis. That's just a, that's going to be as long as it takes because that is his freaking brain. Uh, but Mitch Hanniger, I uh, got a little bit of news today. He was put on the 60 day, 60 day IL, which I believe would be retrospect retroactive from when he went on the IL, which would have been uh, April 27th. So that would have him actually eligible to return 10 days from now on June 26th. So I don't necessarily think that's what's going to happen, uh, but uh, that's that's the designation that's been given to him. So it might be a 60 day and then a, a, a IL stint on top of that. Um, but slowly but surely, Mitch Hanniger, I think July was always the timeline uh, based off of how we kind of projected the high ankle sprain from the beginning. How about that guy I just mentioned, Jared Kelenic? What about him as a possible reinforcement from within the organization to help the offense? Um, still performing very well in Tacoma. He's, he's hitting the ball very hard in a very big stadium, uh, hitting it out of the stadium. Uh, but the, 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 I, I've said this before, his strikeout rate in AAA being north of 30%, just it, it can't be like that. It, it has got to get under control. He, his, his bat to ball has got to be better than that and uh, for him to have an impact in the majors because if you're striking out 30% of the time or more in the majors, or in the minors at AAA where the pitching is probably not even as good as it is in AA, uh, that is not a great sign. So I think you continue to let Jared Kelenic find his rhythm, get comfortable, get in a groove, um, and then uh, you know set him up later in the season where he's probably not going to get sent back down because that would be, I think, uh, fairly devastating if you bring him up now and then he's back down uh, within a month or two. Starting pitching, uh, I, I don't know if uh, there's any – if, if this year's starters could have gone as a whole, right? I think Robbie Ray has been somewhat disappointing, recent upset, up, uptick for sure. Uh, Chris Flexen is a bit about as good as he, you expect him. Same with, with Marco Gonzalez. Logan has definitely been better than we all could have expected. I think all, all of us expected big things out of him, but not quite like this. Um, and then the Matt Brash, George Kirby situation, Brash, kind of, you know, flamed out or, or, you know, the, the game was too big for him at this point, but Kirby has filled in very, very admirably as a fifth starter or fourth or third or whatever you want to say with, with Marco and with Flexen. So it's also remarkable that the Mariners have been able to get this far with only six guys, no injuries. Uh, no, nobody has missed a start due to injury, knock on all the wood you possibly can uh, through this many games that that's, that's the case. I mean, that's, 
um, that's pretty hard to believe. So it's uh, it's let's hope it stays that way. But I think the starters have been on the whole, not the problem. The relievers mm, kind of take take it and leave it a little bit with those guys. I mean, uh, I think you could probably go out and get an actual left-handed pitcher specialist. The Barucky thing uh, coming over from Toronto, I don't know if I trust him quite yet, especially given that in this division, uh, these six left-handed hitters all play. Uh, Michael Brantley, Jordan Alvarez, who I believe getting into yesterday's game was 28 for his last 56, is just a Jordan Alvarez – if, if you're not hip, that is the best offensive player in baseball and maybe the best offensive player we've had in a long time. Um, he, he is absolutely killing it. And Kyle Tucker, who's also very scary. Uh, and in the, so that's the, the Astros all there, obviously. And then the Angels, Shoei Otani, uh, Brandon Walsh, and or, uh, Jared Walsh and Brandon Marsh are all left-handed hitters and all very dangerous hitters too. So you're going to need a left-handed specialist in this division. And I don't know if Ryan Brucky is that guy. So, where can they go out and, and do that? That's a, probably a conversation for a different day. We start talking about targets as we get closer to the July deadline. But I think identifying needs, first of all, the infield, particularly the middle infield and particularly second base, I think is a huge, huge area of concern. You could say left field if you wanted to, um, but I think you just kind of have to count on Jesse Winker uh, figuring it out this year. And, and you know, you've made your bed with that. Second base, though, Adam Frazier and Abe Toro, it's just not it right now. And I am I'm on record for both those guys defending them with with Toro pretty recently. And then I was also the guy that predicted that Adam Frazier would win the batting title this year. So um, I am willing to eat some crow on this one and, and admit that neither of them are working out nearly as well as I would have expected them to. Frazier just has no pop, right? You see him almost feels like he's barreling a ball up and it just it just dies in the outfield. And at a certain point with this lineup, they need a little bit more juice than that. And, you know, to go out and say, hey, let's get a power hitting second baseman. Good luck. Right. Those do not grow on trees. That's not a typically uh, productive position historically and, and across the league in that regard, offensively, at least at, at, at that type of level. So um, that is going to be a challenge. And, and I think the Mariners would hope that they can figure it out. Um, but, you know, I don't know. So that's definitely probably the weakest spot in the order. Right now, I mean, catcher Tom Murphy coming back would be great as well, but Cal Raleigh's been great, and we'll talk about the, that here in a second. But I think the, uh, the the ticket here with the Mariners is taking on money, and that is something as we get uh, kind of further and further with baseball is this kind of buy-sell stratification where the buyers are – it's more of a, a clear line because teams are trying to – if they're not trying to win, they're trying to get as lean as possible, and teams that are trying to win will – uh, take on that bad money to help, uh, you know, accomplish whatever they need. And so that is what the Mariners can do here in, in that scenario uh, to help move things along. So don't be surprised. I mean, a lot can change. I mean, if, the, if this continues to go very, very sour, the Mariners just might find themselves being sellers. And that's a huge disappointment if that is the case by this deadline. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, it, it's kind of trending in that direction with everything we've talked about so far. Thought this was interesting yesterday on ESPN. There's an article by Bradford Doolittle, uh, MLB analyst. Actually, don't know a lot about this guy, but uh, he had an article about why or which teams may make deadline moves and why. And he put the Mariners in the likely adders uh, category, one below the definite adders category. Uh, that included the Dodgers, Yankees, Mets, and Blue Jays, some of the best teams in baseball, with 
big payrolls or farm systems that they can offload to become big buyers of the deadline. Totally makes sense. Uh, but he said that with the Mariners at the deadline, it was going to come down to us versus Boston for the second wild card spot, which you talked about earlier. And if the Mariners see themselves in a position to contend for that second wild card spot, then they could uh, that they would be buyers. But if not, then you know go the other direction. In this same article, uh, Doolittle also mis- misspelled Jerry Depoto, capitalized the P, learned that lesson a long time ago, and uh, also said it'll come down to whether Seattle can pitch better than it has thus far. And that, my friends, is a tell that Bradford Doolittle has not been watching a lot of the Seattle Mariners. The pitching has not been the problem as of late, at least it has been the offense. And uh, so not sure anyone's really clued in on this Mariners team on a national scale. And I can't say that they have any reason to be because it uh, has been quite a disappointment other than uh, basically Julio Rodriguez and, and Logan Gilbert. So yikes. All right. Well, let's talk about the starters and let's get into uh, Robbie Ray getting his groove back a little bit. Uh, Robbie Ray has this new pitch. That's not actually a new pitch. It's an old pitch that he started to throw again. It's being categorized as a sinker because that's what uh, I believe Statcast would label it as because it's not a four seam fastball, um, but it is a fastball. It is a, a two seam fastball and it's, it doesn't really sink. It, it, it kind of runs uh, Robbie Ray is a left-handed pitcher. It kind of runs left to right, but does not uh, does not slash downwards at all um, like a slider and obviously is a lot higher velocity than, than that. So it's kind of like a almost like a, a frisbee pitch where it just kind of goes a little bit to the right towards um, as we would say glove side with uh, with Ray's pitch. So it's not a sinker. It's it's kind of a two seamer and maybe we call it a stinker. That, that's what we'll call it. But anyways, Robbie Ray has been for the last couple of years and even his Cy Young last last Cy Young campaign last year has been very heavy fastball slider last year, 90% fastball and slider. That was 90% of the pitches he threw were one of those two pitches. And it makes sense because he's throwing the fastball for strikes and the slider is nasty. Basically had no sinker, no changeup, no curveball. Um, those three pitches combined to about 10% of his pitches. His 2020 numbers were about the same in terms of his pitch mix. But if you go back a year, in 2019, he did have a 10% usage on his sinker or his two-seamer. So why did it go away? He said this month after uh, people kind of picked up after I think it was the Houston start where he, he kind of pivoted into the two-seamer mid-game or Scott Service told him to, whatever the direction was, saying, for me, this is Robbie Ray speaking, for me, it's been more of a runner instead of a sinker. That's kind of why I ditched it because guys were looking over for it and still hitting it because I wasn't getting a whole lot of action. It was just more running across the plate. So exactly as I described, it doesn't really sink at all. It just runs left to right. But the advantage for for Robbie Ray and why this has been a a boon uh, for for adding it in the last couple of starts is that that's exactly what he needed, right? He was throwing, he wasn't able to locate the fastball for strikes and he was throwing everything to right-handed hitters uh, towards them, right? So, So basically just everything on the right side of the plate. Um, and that was, became very easy for them to, uh, to key in on. It's just dial in on the, the inside stuff, hit it hard. Cause you know, that's where it's coming. What he's allowed himself to do with this runner pitch is to get back over to the other side of the plate, to, uh, use the entire width of the plate, uh, to his advantage and velocity wise, it's basically the same pitch as his, his four seamer, uh, just moves differently and is coming to a different side of the plate. So, That'll probably get picked up on, um, but in the meantime, it's been a very effective thing for Ray through his last uh, start and a half. 
Um, in that Houston start that I mentioned where he kind of decided to do it midway through the game, he threw it 26 times over the next three innings after he was after Houston was rocking him through the first three innings of that game. Basically, from that point, Houston stopped hitting him hard and went scoreless. And then the next start against Boston, uh, Ray threw it 48% of his for of his 93 pitches were that sinker, uh, 29% of his four seamers. So he's still using the four seamer just in a different mix as he was before on that two seamer the sinker, the stinker, whatever you want to call it, 27% CSW, which is a called strike plus whiff. So this is a great stat. Um, I believe Alex Fast is the guy who who coined it. Um, It's a great stat for individual pitchers and individual pitches, measuring the effectiveness of them. Imagine it's pretty simple in my mind, at least. It's uh, the the denominator is your total pitches. The numerator is the number of called strikes. So strikes in the strike zone where the guy doesn't swing at it because it's just a great pitch. And then whiffs where the guy tries to swing at it but can't make contact. So if you think about it from a pitcher's perspective, those are the types of things that you want to that you want to uh, to to put out there. Strikes that what the guy doesn't swing can't possibly do damage on that. Swings and misses also can't possibly do damage on that. So um, those are a really important pitch. So 27% called strike, called strike plus whiff rate on that two seamer um, for Robbie Ray in that last start. That's great. Overall, like if that was Robbie Ray's, Robbie Ray's uh, call strike whiff rate, full stop, that would put him at top 40 in baseball. Um, that's not including his slider, which obviously is going to have a lot uh, higher numbers on that because of how many whiffs it draws. So for Robbie Ray to be that effective with that pitch against a very, very good Boston lineup um, is great news. And like I said, this it, everything is ebb and flow with pitchers, and that was something that Houston was definitely not prepared for and Boston probably less prepared for it or a little bit more, but still less prepared for it um, in, their, in their game. So, you know, it's now in the scouting report, but I think uh, him adding a tool – um, because it it just wasn't working is is uh, great news for Robbie Ray being more successful and back to uh, the pitcher that we know he can be for the rest of the season. Uh, quick notes on Flexen and Marco of uh, Chris Flexen five innings or more, three runs or less uh, in each of his last four starts. That's great for Chris Flexen. That is great. Two quality starts against Houston in that stretch. And then Marco Gonzalez has had a little bit of an up and down. He had a rough start against Boston. I think he had six walks, which again, if you can't, Marco Gonzalez in walks in 2020, shortened season, he walked seven guys the whole year in 12 starts. Uh, no, maybe it's 10 starts because it was six-man rotation. But anyways, that's nuts. And so for him to give six walks against Boston the other day, um, it's just, you know, that, that happens. But it just it's more of anything showing how good he was back in 2020. And I talked about Logan Gilbert. He's been great. It just, just tremendous. I mean, he's, he's an, he's an ace already, probably the best pitcher on the staff. Um, Robbie Ray might have him a little bit and stuff, but Logan is just so, so nasty and dialed in and uh, is you got to be thrilled with him. If you are a Mariners fan at this point for how well he's pitching uh, the other young guy, George Kirby, um, I was going to ask Phil this rhetorically, but what was George Kirby's biggest carrying trait coming out of Elon? As soon as you draft him, you've never heard anything about George Kirby. What's the first thing you read? He doesn't walk anybody. I think he walked like eight guys his whole season, um, his last season at Elon. What is George Kirby doing now? Not walking anybody. He's 99th percentile in baseball and walk rate. His off-speed stuff has got to improve. That's the Those are the pitches that are getting hit the hardest for him. Um, but, you know, obviously you need to have those, but 
Um, you know, the fact that he has a, a very strong fastball and uh, is, is not walking anybody is great news for him um, going forward. Because as we saw with Logan this year, you can, you can revamp those, that off-speed stuff. It's just the command of, of the, uh, the mainstays, and that's working very well for George Kirby. Our third out here is uh, talking about some young guys playing well. Just some quick notes on Taylor Trammell, Cal Raleigh, Penn Murphy, and Julio Rodriguez. Taylor Trammell has come up in the last few weeks. He uh, has looked great, actually. I think there's been a lot of positive signs. We've seen great traits with him. The power has been has been tasty in, in the past with Trammell, uh, but uh, it's always been the swing and miss stuff with him. Again, my, my numbers might be a little bit old, but his swing and miss percentage is down 13% from last year and all of his expected stats, so expected batting average, expected on-base percentage, expected slugging are all up from last year. And given his uh, outfield versatility, given his speed, I think this is a, a useful player that uh, actually could stick uh, on the team for the rest of the season, depending on outfielder health. Cal Raleigh, good stuff from Cal. He's uh, chasing the ball 14% less often than he was last year where he was really lost to the plate. And it was basically just like, Hey, Cal, like just need you to catch <laughs> like the, you know, don't worry so much about your at bats. And um, so he's been a lot better in that regard. His hard hit percentage is up to 46% uh, from last season's 35%. Again, if you check StatCast and those, I have those numbers off a little bit because I did my research a couple of days ago, uh, but his launch angle is also up from last year. So that is translated into the power that we've seen. I believe he's at like eight or nine home runs already, uh, which is crazy. His ISO power, which slugging percentage minus your batting average has nearly doubled from last year. Um, if you are following along at home and thinking that this reminds you of uh, what a former Mariners pitch or catching prospect ended up becoming, that is uh because it's a very similar story. Mike Zanino, um, Cal Raleigh is a great defensive sector catcher uh, with pop. And that's Mike Zanino has made a career out of that. So not necessarily a bad thing that if, uh, if this is the kind of player that Cal Raleigh has become, and I think there's room for improvement too. Penn Murphy, ignore last night's outing. That was not great from Penn Murphy. Um, but beside that, Penn Murphy has probably got to be one of the biggest what the hell candidates in all of baseball for the season that he's having um he if you don't know Penn murphy's story he was a position player i mean he, he pitched a little bit growing up but he was a position player at vanderbilt um and then for his grad transfer year or the, towards the end of his, his vanderbilt career he started to pitch a little bit um, i think by necessity then as his grad transfer year he went to santa clara university uh, over in california northern california and uh, was made to a full-time pitcher there. There he had a, a, a pretty good success and then was drafted in the like 30th round. Let's uh, check on that by the Mariners just off of that um, little blip of success that he had at Santa Clara. And yeah, he was in the 33rd round pick 14, 988th overall in the 2018 draft, Penn Murphy. Penn Murphy recently had an interview um, on the Mariners pod, I believe it was Shannon Dreher, where, or someone was talking to him about, you know, what makes him successful. And he said, he's just always been really good at spinning the baseball. Penn Murphy's slider has a 30% higher horizontal break than average in baseball. The average in baseball, the average slider in baseball is nuts in terms of how much it moves. Uh, so for Penn Murphy to be that successful, um, coming across the plate with his slider is is crazy. It's it's a great pitch against lefties. 
that slider has a 100% chase miss percentage. So if you're chasing on, on his slider as a lefty, you are missing it this year. And that, again, may have changed after yesterday's poor showing, but um, just been an extremely effective pitch uh, hitting or sweeping in towards lefties um, as a righty there. His, again, stat cast could be off by a ticker or two here after yesterday, but uh, his expected ERA, expected batting average, expected slugging percentage as a pitcher are all 99th percentile this year. Penn Murphy, 33rd round pick, former position player, um, just a few years ago has turned it around and has become a, a piece in this bullpen. And uh, it's just a really cool story. I love, I love uh, those kinds of stories in baseball uh, guys, just kind of, you know, going, going forward with careers where they're actually doing the wrong thing and uh, you know, finding it. Paul Seawald, again, <laughs> bad example from yesterday, but similar kind of story there. And then Julio Rodriguez. Um, I don't have, you know, we, we've stat casted, we've fan graphed, we've, we've done all this, the, the number stuff with Julio, uh, but just, just take a beat here and think about how rough this season has been and disappointing this season has been. Could you imagine how bad the Mariners would be this year if Julio wasn't amazing? How bad, how disappointing, if, if Julio had the season that Jared Kellenick had last year, where it was just miserable, if he went through these like 0 for 40 stretches and gets sent down, this would be a terrible, terrible season. And, and truly like the, the DePoto service uh, hot seat would be hotter than it already is, which is starting to get, get some, get some temperatures, get some ticks up on the, the thermometer there. So thank God Julio is delightful because it has made the season a lot more palatable. Dan Zimborski of Fangraphs um, did an interesting article recently uh, pro projecting when some of baseball's young stars or who, which of baseball's young stars could be due for a long-term contract a la what Jordan Alvarez just signed. I think it was six for 128 with the Astros, what uh, Wander Franco signed last year, uh, which was a nine or 10 million, nine or 10 year deal uh, where the goal is to lock up these really, really talented young players for as long as possible um, before they are so good that they are incredibly expensive. So um, I highly suggest you check that out. It's a cool article. Zimborski suggested the Mariners, uh, uh, based on data, of course, this is how Fangraphs do it, a six-year, $103 million contract is what he recommended for, for Julio Rodriguez. And my thought for that is that seems like we should double that because uh, he is so freaking good. And if you told me that we locked him up for six for 200 or eight for 200, I would say, hell yeah, because this guy is 21 and is just an absolute superstar. And so, again, we are so, so lucky to have Julio. Um, and I think it's just a an important note to end here, here on. So to uh, to the bike ride we go, I just wanted uh, quick two quick uh, Eric Burns bike rides for me. One is blackouts. I couldn't watch any of the Mariners versus Red Sox games because I live in Boston and uh, I have MLB TV. And I think that's pretty stupid. I'm paying for products so that I can watch my team as much as possible. And I still can't watch them. Don't give me the, the blackout rules, any of that. I don't need to hear it. Just listen to what I'm saying again. I'm paying for a product so that I can watch my team and I can't watch them. Figure that out. Uh, also, people who don't understand why Kyle Lewis isn't back yet, being like, oh, there's got to be something more to the story or questioning his toughness. Come on. Right. Concussion is your brain. His brain is not ready. Every concussion is different. It's just that simple. Um, so if you're one of those people, I don't think any of these people who listen to this podcast are in that camp. 
Uh, but if you're confused about it, just just know that this is a, a crazy injury with no definite timeline. And uh, Kyle Lewis will be back when he is ready. Hydros, I'm going to give one out to Diego Castillo has been nails lately, basically since he, uh, um, when was that, man, he had, he had like a crazy game in Houston or something like that, where he came in late and uh, kind of was all kinds of all over the place, but ended up uh, getting the ship settled in a good place. And the Mariners pulled out with a win in that one, been nails ever since. And uh, it's been fun to watch him because when he's on, he's nasty and his slider is, uh, is, is the carrying pitch there. And then lastly, Mabel Cross. If you don't know Mabel Cross, uh, I didn't either a few days ago. She threw out the first pitch at uh, uh, T-Mobile Park the other day. I don't know exactly what day that was. I think it was over the weekend. Mabel is 101 years old when she threw out the first pitch. She wore a jersey with 101 on the back, uh, and uh, she threw out the first pitch, and it was uh, DTD, as we would say, which... Um, in pitching parlance and Eric Jensen, if you're listening, means down the dick. And it was a beautiful pitch, a uh, 101 year old moving uh, elegantly out to the mound and throwing a perfect pitch. I mean, just an incredible example of vitality there. Mabel Cross, congratulations. Um, very cool opportunity. Then glad the Mariners picked up on that. Um, and the first reply on this tweet tweet that the Mariners put out with the video of Mabel Cross doing that uh, was from none other than Brett Boone who replied saying pretty awesome hashtag Boone approved. And I just like this idea of Brett Boone, just scouring Twitter, looking for things that are hashtag Boone approved. Um, so the bone is out there. No, he's not the bone. Is he the bone? Jay Buhner's the bone. Booney, Booney is out there looking for, uh, apparently there's a, there's a young Boone, like Brett Boone's grandpa, I think played in the MLB. His dad, Bob Boone definitely did. And then I think there is a, a, Little Boone, Brett's son, who might be joining the game soon, which means four generations of Boone are uh, either in baseball, have been in baseball, or uh, will soon be in baseball. So pretty crazy there. But anyways, that's a podcast. Appreciate you guys listening to me for one more solo pod. We'll hopefully have Phil back very, very soon, if not some uh, other special guests. We've got some plans for that throughout the year. Um, Thank you for listening up to this point. Subscribe to the podcast, follow, follow us, review, share, love us unconditionally in every possible way you can, because uh, it really means a lot when I hear from people saying uh, that they enjoy the episode or that uh, this helps and helps cope with this, this dark and dismal season or whatever. So appreciate you guys for listening and uh, go M's and talk next week.